Good morning, afternoon, and evening to everybody around the world. This is your boy again, Charlie Armel. Uh, welcome to my podcast. Uh, the last time we had decided to talk about Africa and the First World War, but there's a change in program because of something that's happening right now in the world and something that is very important to Africans. So I've decided to talk about that instead by postponing the World War One to next week. Now, uh, yesterday, uh, Congo received the remains of one of its founding fathers, the father of independence for the Congolese people and a hero to African people in general, um, Patrice Lumumba. Now, I'm going to talk about him to understand why this is so important for Africans in general and for Congolese in particular. Now, Lumumba is regarded by many like a hero. He's celebrated internationally by a lot of people and he's highly respected. Now, why are we talking about him? Because he has been in the hands of the Belgian. His remains have been in the hands of the Belgian since 1961. That means the founding father of a country, his remains are in the hands of the colons for how many decades, I don't even know. That's, that's amazing in a disturbing way. That's really, really disturbing. And I feel like there should be a lot of people who are more angry about this than they, than they, than they are right now. But then, it's just my perspective. Now, I'm going to talk about Lumumba himself. Patrice Emery Lumumba was born in July 2nd, 1925 in Kataku Kombi. That was in Belgian Congo, present-day the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, he was an African nationalist leader and he was the first prime minister of Congo from June to September 1960. That's a short tenure, I know, but it was complicated at the moment. Now, he attended a little protestant mission school, which was really rare in those days because the Belgians had assured themselves that very, very few uh, Congolese had access to decent education. But then he was one of the, one of the few lucky ones, and uh, he had quality education, and he was very brilliant in school. Now, after school, he moved to Leopoldville, which is present in Kinshasa, the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, notice the name Leopoldville, Leopold. It reminds us about somebody who we studied in the last podcast, right? Well, that's the columns for you. And uh, when he moved there, he eventually became a postal clerk. Uh, and after a few years, he then moved to Stanleyville, which is uh, present-day Kisangani, still in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, Stanley View also, it reminds us of Stanley Henry Morton, someone who we studied also. These columns are crazy, like, seriously, the guys, I don't know, I don't understand. They, they just name everything after them, even in other people's countries or lands. Anyway, after that, uh, Lumumba, he decided to enter into politics. It was not really a decision that he took, but it was out of necessity. Since he was one of the few educated elites, uh, it was just natural that his path was going to lead him there one way or the other. Now, in 1955, Lumumba became the regional president of a purely Congolese trade union, not affiliated to the, new, to the, to the two Ben Belgian unions. In Belgian Congo during that era, they had formed two main uh, trade unions. One of them was a Catholic union and one of them was a socialist union. 
all of them affiliated to the Belgians. Now, the Congolese at that moment, they decided to create their own union and he was not affiliated to any of those. And uh, he became the regional president of one of those, uh, of one of the branches of those, of that uh, uh, union. Eventually, he also became active in the Belgian Liberal Party and was invited by the Belgian Ministry of Colonies to tour Belgium in 1956. Now, when you show some, you display some level of intelligence, usually it was commonplace for, for the colons and the Belgians in particular to invite you to the country for them to sort of advertise and brand you as their success, the success of their colonies there. That means they literally bring you there, they show you to the, to the Belgian people as this is an African who is intelligent, who are doing good work there, bye-bye, forget about it. Except when Lumumba went there, he actually displayed a lot of ideas about Congolese independence and reminded the people there that when during his speeches that Congo is a free country and they need to, they need to be liberated from the hands of the Belgians. Now, this is not pleased, did not please the the, the, the Belgian authorities normally, especially the Minister of Colonies. So when he came back to, to, to Congo, as was usually the case with, uh, with uh, Belgian uh, uh, nationalists and African nationalists as usual, he was arrested under the fake charges of embezzlement during his time at the post office. Now, he was sentenced for five years, five, five years. But eventually, due to uh, a few interventions and pressure, he only served 12 months in prison and he was released early. That was a very big mistake by the Congolese to release him early. If they had known, they wouldn't have. Because immediately after he was released, he became even more active in the in Congolese politics, attending conferences, educating the Congolese people about independence and the, their, their lifestyle and how it would be better if they were governed by themselves. Now, in October 1958, he actually launched the Mouvement National Congolais, that's the National Congolese Movement, a political party alongside other Congolese leaders. It was the first nationwide Congolese party throughout the country. The first, I know, right? 1958. That's like really late compared to other African countries. But then, the Congolese really had a strong grip on, on the, on the country. Now, in December 1958, Lumumba went international. He actually attended the first All African People's Conference in Accra, in Ghana, where he actually met prominent nationalists like Kwame Kuma, John Kale of Uganda, and Felix Mumie of Cameroon, and many others. There, because of his eloquence during his speech and uh, his tenure, he was actually made a permanent member of the organization that ensured from this conference. I mean, during this conference, they created an organization which was like the, the backbone to what eventually became the African Union that we have today. Yeah, he was one of those founding members. I know. Now, upon his return to Congo, uh, Lumumba was really celebrated and, and adored by the Congolese people, but Obviously, he was hated by the Congolese, uh, 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 by the Belgian authorities, and uh, he continued his militant movements, actually. The Mouvement National Congolais actually gained grounds along the population. A lot of people admired them and actually integrated the party because they were actually feeling like they needed to get out of the grip of the Belgians. And because of the pressure and the Congolese people actually inciting a couple of riots around the country, well, uh, 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 the Congolese started feeling like they needed to prepare Congo for an eventual independence because during that period there was a wave of independence going throughout Africa. So 
uh, they felt like he was going to get out of hand. He didn't like give the Congolese people something or some assurances that they were actually going to uh, uh, grant them some independence. Now, Lumumba was imprisoned again in October 1959. And here is where it gets interesting. It's because a riot broke out in Stanleyville when the Belgians actually announced elections in preparation of the independence. Except this announcement, uh, they were actually planning to announce the independence eventually, gradually, and they give like a 10 years plan, and eventually they had planned to appoint some of their puppets uh, uh, amongst the Congolese to actually be part of the, the, the government and head the government while they are still in control. Except the Mouvement National Congolais was not in accordance with that, and they could not outsmart Lumumba and the other Congolese elites. And therefore, a riot broke after the announcement, and it cost about 30 deaths because of the repression of the, the Congolese. Now, Lumumba and the nationalists actually boycotted those elections that they were actually planning to do, and uh, he was arrested for inciting a riot. As usual, like I said, this was a pattern of the, of the colonizers. They usually find a way to always arrest one way or the other, always arrest or blame the, the nationalists or people who are struggling for their independence. Like whenever you're trying to be prominent or anything, they find a way to arrest you over and over. And they would have had their way eventually over somebody like Lumumba if he wasn't so loved by the Congolese people who could not actually be steady or rest whenever he was in prison. Now, because of this, the Mouvement National Congolais actually decided to shift their tactics and entered into the elections themselves. And they actually won a sweeping victory in Stanleyville, more than 90% of the votes. Like I said, they were really loved by the people. So uh, even the Belgian authorities couldn't displace that. So, whenever, so when the people took the ballot, actually, they won a sweeping marginal victory. Now, in January 1960, the government, the, the Belgian government under pressure from the Congolese and the international community actually convened a round table in, in Brussels, their capital, and all of the Congolese parties uh, uh, gathered there to discuss the political change. But the Mouvement, the Mouvement National Congolais refused to participate without Lumumba, who was still in prison during that moment. Now, that caused a lot of pressure because they were the main party, they had the majority of the votes, but they could not actually attend a conference which was representing the Congolese people because their leader was still in prison. Now, because of that, Lumumba was released from prison and flown to Brussels like two days after. That's like the power that he held over the Congolese people. Now, the conference agreed for a date for independence, which was June the 30th of 1916, with national elections happening one month before, that's in May. Now, although there was a, multi a multiplicity of parties, the, the Mouvement National Congolais came out far ahead in the elections as it was uh, 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 during the previous elections held. And uh, Lumumba actually emerged as the leading nationalist politician in Congo. Obviously. Now, maneuvers made by the Belgians to prevent his assumption of authorities failed because the people were strongly behind him. And because of the pressure, he was eventually asked to form the first government, which he did on June the 24th, 1960. Now, remember when I said in the, la in the last podcast that Congo is one of the, if not the most minerally blessed country in the whole world? Now, that was eventually set to cause problems immediately after independence, especially with the influence of European powers. Now, remember that we're in the 60s year, and the Cold War is at its prime. 
I'm just saying because that's going to come into play eventually. You guys are going to understand why later. Now, let's enter into Patrice Lumumba's prime ministership. Now, he was appointed prime minister of Congo after the independence and Joseph Kasavubu, yes, was appointed uh, president. But Patrice Lumumba held most of the powers and he was in charge of handling the internal and external most, and most of the external affairs of Belgium. Now, Almost immediately after independence, some units of the army, of the Congolese army, actually rebelled. And mostly because of the Belgian commander, who did not want to leave his office. So the army, the army who did not want to be under the commands of the Belgian en uh, anymore, Cecil, uh, rebelled from the army. Now, because of the confusion, the confusion that all of that ensued, Moïse Chombe now, an elite of the mineral-rich region of Katanga, announced that Katanga was seceding from Congo. Now, because of that, Belgium took the opportunity to send their troops under the guise of protecting their national still in the Congo. But actually, instead of the troops to land in Kinshasa, the capital of Congo, they actually landed in Katanga and they went there to back the regime of Moïse Chombe, obviously, against Lumumba. Now, because of that, Lumumba actually appealed to the United Nations to, to expel the Belgians and actually restore order in Congo because Congo had become an independent country and it was not right for uh, uh, an imperial power to send their troops into another country to maintain order in peace, but actually go to back a seceding regime. Now, when Lumumba appealed to the United Nations, the United Nations actually sent a couple of forces, but the forces, when they arrived in the Congo, they were actually very condescending and assertive. They wanted things under their own control, the way they wanted it, instead of the way the United Nations told them to do it, and the way Lumumba told them to do it. Now, it's not helped to de-escalate the situation and the Katanga still remains seceded while uh, 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 Lumumba as prime minister was doing everything that he could to try to redress the situation within the limited powers that he had. Now, the problem was that the Congolese army itself, it was actually an uncertain instrument of power because some factions were seceding and uh, his civilian administration was still new, so they were still, they were still untrained and untried. So despite everything that he could do, and despite uh, uh, the fact that he did everything to appeal to the United Nations, the United Nations did not help. Now, since the United Nations did not help and the Belgian troops were, the Belgian troops were still in Congo, supporting the, 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 the regime of Moïse Chombe, uh, Lumumba actually appealed to the Soviet Union for planes to assist in transporting his troops to Katanga. Because remember, Congo was not as developed. The other parts, the hinterlands of Congo was not as developed as the other parts of the, of the country. So they actually needed planes for the, for the troops to move from Kinshasa right to Katanga to go and restore order over there. Now, when he asked the independent African states to meet in Kinshasa and unite their efforts behind him, now, his moves alarmed many, especially the West and President Joseph Kasavubu, who actually favored the moderate cause of using local autonomy in the provinces. That means each province is going to have a local autonomy. That means it was going to further divide the country in the long run, according to Lumumba. Now, we're going to enter his dismissal, his arrest, and his assassination. Now, here I'm going to be mostly elaborating the facts for you guys to understand the circumstances through which uh, uh, Patrice Lumumba went from being dismissed to actually assassinated. Now, on the 5th of September uh, 1960, Joseph Kasavubu actually dismissed Lumumba as prime minister, but because of the illegality of the move, because he was not constitutionally allowed to do that, 
because of the illegality of the move and the outcry of the Congolese people, Lumumba actually remained in power. And now there were now two groups claiming to be the central government. That means Joseph Kasavubu's people and Patrice Lumumba's people who were supported by the Congolese people mostly. Now, on September 14, that's almost two weeks after uh, uh, Kasavubu dismissed Lumumba, uh, Colonel Joseph Desiré Mobutu seized power and actually reached a working agreement in accordance with Joseph Kasavubu. That means both of them, they, worked, they decided to work together after Mobutu, who was in control of most of the forces in Congo, the police forces and the army in Congo, they decided to work together against Lumumba. Now, because of that, Lumumba was actually placed under house arrest and was guarded not only by Mobutu's forces, but by the forces of the United Nations as well, who also served him as some sort of protection. Now, when I read that initially, that was very curious to me, like why would the UN, the United Nations, who did not actually uh, adhere to Lumumba's wishes in the Congo, be protecting him and be actually there to serve uh, 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 him? That was very curious. But then eventually I got to understand why, and I hope you guys are going to uh, likewise. Now, you best believe that in November, that means practically two months after, the United Nations recognized Kasavubu's government. Despite the independent African states mostly siding with Lumumba, they decided that it was Kasavubu's government that was legal and uh, Lumumba's government that was illegal. So they decided to recognize Kasavubu's government. Now, because of that, immediately after the announcement, Lumumba, who knew that he was supposed to fear for his life eventually, he escaped from the house arrest and sought to travel to Stanleyville, uh, where most of his supporters had control over the area. Now, he almost made it over the river separating Kinshasa and Stanleyville, but because of his wife and his child that stayed back behind, he decided to go back alongside two of his associates. The two associates joined him in a in a canoe, in a boat, that's a local, that's some sort of local boat here, and he went back, despite knowing that he was going to be caught by Mobutu's forces eventually. So the people accompanied him initially, he told them goodbye because he was sure that it was the last time that he was going to see them. So when he got back there, he was arrested on the 2nd of December, and he was hurt at a military camp in Taisville, now Banzangungu, a town in, uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, because of the fact that the camp was mostly made up of Congolese soldiers who, as the people of Congo, were very sympathetic to Lumumba. The Belgians, uh, Mobutu and Kasavubu, actually arranged his transfer to, to a more secure, secure in quotes location, according to them. One that will almost guarantee his certain death, definitely. Now, on January 1968, Lumumba and two of his associates were actually flown to Elizabethville, now Lumumbashi. They call it now Lumumbashi because the town was named after him uh, eventually. Now, on the flight, Lumumba and his associates were brutally beaten by Mobutu soldiers who were escorting him. And at the end of the flight, they seriously needed medical attention. Now, instead of getting the medical attention that they needed, once they landed, actually, they were actually beaten some more and tortured by the Katangan forces and the leaders and the leaders, and they were actually delivered to Moïse Chombe. Remember that Moïse Chombe was the leader of the Katanga region, which actually seceded from the Congo. I mentioned it earlier. Now, he was delivered to Moïse Chombe, and Moïse Chombe had a lot of British uh, military advisors. Remember that the, the uh, sorry, Belgian military advisors. Remember that the Belgians actually sent their troops to Congo, and they were actually helping uh, Moïse Chombe to secede all the, during, uh, throughout this period from, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, on the same night, actually, Lumumba and his two associates 
Okito and Polo were actually taken into a forest where they were executed one by one by a firing squad and Lumumba was actually executed last. Now, according to some rumors, he was actually pleading that they should let go of his associates and kill just him. But uh, the, Belgians, the Belgians and the Katangan soldiers didn't listen. So all of them were killed. This was, about this was at, at about 9.40 p.m. in the evening. So records actually place his death between 9.40 p.m. and 9.43 p.m. That's after the firing squad. It took about three minutes for those. Now, it's important to note that the firing squad was under the Belgian command. These are facts that were eventually established surrounding Lumumba's death, although the fact that Belgium denied the implication in his death for many, many decades. Now, after they were dead, their bodies were thrown into shallow graves. But since the Belgians actually wanted no evidence of their death, the bodies were actually dug up and then they were cut with saws. They were hacked into many pieces with saws and then their bodies were dissolved into acid. I know that's like a very, very gory, disturbing death, but that's what actually happens. One of the Belgian officials actually kept his tooth as a trophy, which was eventually sent to Belgium as evidence that the job was done and that Lumumba was actually dead. Now, you not believe what happened after that. Immediately after the, uh, uh, Lumumba was dead, they actually made a plot to decide that they were not going to announce his death. Now, the Katangan government withheld the announcement of his death for over one month. But the thing is that the rumors were actually circulating because that kind of high-profile death could not actually remain uh, uh, silent. So on February 13, due to the many rumors, they announced that Lumumba had actually escaped their custody, but he was caught by villagers and killed by the mob. Now, they had to lie to protect uh, 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 their, their, their dirty secret. Now, the explanation, that was, the explanation that was given was actually quickly disputed by the Congolese people because it's not actually accept that that's how Lumumba could die. Like, which Congolese people are actually going to hold Lumumba and kill him by mob action? So the explanation was highly disputed. But people actually feared to do so uh, publicly because the regimes in Congo are actually becoming more and more repressive. Now, anybody who knows about uh, uh, Joseph uh, Desiré Mobutu, later known as Mobutu Seko, actually knew what, know that his regime was one of the most repressive regimes that Africa has ever seen. That's why it actually took decades for the circumstances around his death to be truly established and made public. That means what we know today, the people back then did not know that it actually took a lot of decades and a lot of declassified files for the death of Lumumba to be reestablished. Now, his death actually caused a scandal throughout Africa, obviously, and beyond even, especially in the Soviet Union. Now, many Russians joined African countries in protesting against his death, and a university in Russia was actually named after him. The Soviets were actually very fond of Lumumba and his way of seeing things, and so were many Africans. He was actually a hero to practically everybody. You know, the thing is that when you do good for the people, Eventually, history always vindicates you. You always stand on the right side of history. That's why people have re he uh, rarely heard of the name Joseph Kasavubu. Even you guys listening, you guys don't even know that he had ever been the Congolese president. He was the first Congolese president. Everybody knows about Patrice Lumumba. You must have heard of his name one way or the other. And that's why history always vindicates people. When you do right, you can never, you can never be hidden. But when you do wrong, you actually enter into oblivion or you are remembered for the wrong reasons like the way Mobutu is remembered nowadays. Now, after that period, after, after that, the Soviet government actually accused the West for his death. The accusations which, which did not make sense because they, we actually established the facts of around uh, Lumumba's death right now. So why will 
the Soviet government accused the West for Lumumba's death. This accusation does not make sense until recently when declassified Belgian, French, and CIA files were made public. But I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to enter into the aftermath of Lumumba's death, like what happened after he died to Congo. Now, when he died, Congo became more and more divided due to foreign, a lot of foreign interferences and all that. Now, it actually led to the UN taking action because the UN before that, like I told you guys, they were actually passive. They actually took the side of Kasavubu. But when he died, even his enemies started declaring that he was a public hero. So it actually put pressure on the UN and the UN decided to take action. Now, that action was majorly represented by the new UN uh, Secretary General. He was called Dag Hammarskjöld, a Swede, Swedish, Swede, I don't know. Anyway, he was from Sweden. So, Dag Hammarskjöld actually decided to interfere into the Congo and try to solve the problem because the problem was getting out of hand already. Too many nations were already interfering. So, he decided to fly personally to Congo to come and discuss with Moish Chombe, with Mobutu and all the other parties to decide what was supposed to be done to bring peace to Congo. Except, he never made it to Congo. On a flight while heading to Katanga, uh, Moish Chombe's region, his plane actually had an accident and crashed against a hill and everybody was inside died. Now, there have been a lot of speculation ups to the fact that did he really die through an accident or was the plane sabotage or shut down? Like I said, almost like, like I said, for almost all of these things, a lot of things remain secret and we did not uh, uh, find this, the, the truth nowadays, recently. Now, facts and, the, uh, and the classified files also mention the fact that the people who were there, that means the regular Congolese people who were there, in Katanga during that period, actually saw a large plane, a large UN plane, and then a smaller plane which came and shot down Dag Hammarskjöld's plane and it crashed. Now, you have to ask yourself, why did people, why did European powers and European multinationals not want Dag Hammarskjöld to reach into the Congo and actually find a way to solve the crisis? It is mostly because that's my own take, and it's the take of most people who have actually studied the case and actually understood what's going on. Because it's still going on today. Like I mentioned before, Congo is extremely minerally blessed, and the, most of their resources has been in the hand of the Belgian and other multinationals who have been exploiting uh, uh, the Congolese people even till today. All of the phones that we use, all the iPhone, everything, it comes from minerals from the Congolese, which children actually have to enter into mines. Little children, five, six, seven years old, have to enter into mines and get the minerals and send it to uh, uh, large multinationals, Apple, all of those people who use uh, uh, iPhones and stuff, amongst others. And the people, the children, they, despite the fact that they're using child labor, the children, they actually get less than $1 per uh, day, uh, 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 despite all of their efforts, when children normally are not supposed to be working because there are labor rights in place, right? I mean, come on. So anyway, that's what happened after. Uh, Mobutu took over power entirely. That means he took control over the whole of Congo, and he was actually a brutal, brutal dictator. He ruled Congo with an iron fist for over 25 years, and in the end, of all of these political squabbles and international and international interferences, 
it was the Congolese people that had to suffer, sufferings which are still living through till today. With that being said, I'm going to come back to why did the Soviet Union accuse the West of killing uh, uh, Patrice Lumumba? Would you believe that the United States of America had a major involvement in his death by using the Central Intelligence Agency, also popularly known as the CIA? Now, Lumumba, he asked help from the Soviet Union during a period of the Cold War. And people feared that Congo was going to become a communist country under his leadership. People, I mean the West, especially the United States of America. It's because of that that the president, Dwight D. Eisenhower of the United States in 1960, actually ordered the CIA to kill Patrice Lumumba. That means the president of one country ordering his wing, one of his wings, to kill another president or in this case, prime, uh, prime minister, a leader, actually. That's, I, I don't know, but I find it extremely shocking. Like, why? Anyway, I'm not going to dive and get sentimental, but you guys understand that this is an issue that is personal, really personal for Africans in general. Like, it doesn't make sense at all. And they did so with the, the, the complicity of Belgium. Like, you guys see Belgium's complicity in Lumumba's death throughout all the facts that are enunciated, right? Now, there was not only him, there was also there was not only the United States, but also Great Britain and France. Why would they want Lumumba dead? They don't want Lumumba to be associated to the Soviet Union because they want to continue exploiting the minerals of the Congo. They actually during that period they actually uh, 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 allocated one hundred thousand dollars, which was a huge sum in nineteen sixty, like really huge, to the assassination of Lumumba. But the CIA is not only tried once, they tried using their usual tactics. They actually placed poison on his toothbrush and a lot of other things, but it did not work. So they actually had to associate themselves with the Belgians and actually use the Congolese, the Katangan Congolese people to kill him. Now, other declassified uh, 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 files also show that uh, Mobutu actually came in power with the help of the CIA. Because I always wondered, like, how? Is it that there are two warring governments and then suddenly a 35-year-old uh, 35 lieutenant in the army just takes over power and he's the one that is running everything? Except the classified files show that he had the support and the backing of the United uh, States of America. They actually told him that get rid of that communist Lumumba I are going to help put you in power and for you to consolidate uh, and I are going to help you consolidate that power. Like, in all of this, did anybody actually consider the Congolese people? I doubt, because he was probably the worst leader that uh, 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 Africa has ever seen. He, he actually made his people to go under a level of poverty that has never been seen before in the Congo. I mean, the people there were poor and dull because they were a new country, but what he did to that country, my God, it, it is, he actually, there's actually a term for what he did, it's called kleptocracy. That means he himself invented, only he himself, there's a term invented for what he did. It's called kleptocracy. You know what, when they say somebody is a kleptomaniac, that means he can't help himself from stealing. Him, what he was doing was kleptocracy because he, he took everything for himself and nothing for the Congolese people. And that's the kind of leader that America wanted. I mean, they did not even care about who was in power until, uh, on, uh, uh, 
as long as the peace was not associated in any way with the Soviet Union, except Lumumba had repeatedly told uh, 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 people that he was not a communist. He remembered that he actually went to the Soviet Union to ask for help because the United Nations was not doing anything to help the situation. And they actually needed to be something done because regional disparity and regional separation is never good for a country because when regions are too autonomous, really, really too autonomous, especially after independence when there's not been enough time for consolidation, high chances of secession are there. And that's what Moïse Chombe did and took advantage of. And now, nowadays, the Katanga region doesn't exist anymore. But the capital of the Katanga region during that period is named after Lumumba. It's called Lumumbashi right now. It went from Elizabethville to Lumumba, to Lumumbashi. That's how people remember it. Now, you guys remember that I told you that I'm going to talk about it because the, uh, I think recently, like two or three days ago, that's like the 20th of, 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 of June 2022, uh, Lumumba's remains, remains in quotes, that means the tooth, you guys remember the tooth that I mentioned that the Belgian official sent to, to, to Belgium as a trophy. Well, would you believe that they are sending it back to Congo and there's like an official ceremony sending the remains of Lumumba, an apology by the Belgian prime minister, a visit by the, the Belgian king to Congo. And I don't know how the Congolese people are allowing that because personally, it's, it's outrageous. That means this guy was the, the architect of the independence of this country. He fought tooth and bone as hard as he could. He was imprisoned, beaten, tortured and everything and killed, dissolved in acid. Somebody who was that intelligent, that smart, who had done so much for the country, killed like that, like an animal. And they're bringing his remains today so calmly, so quietly, issuing an apology or two. We are sorry if that this happens. And what about the reparations and the compensations and for everything that you guys have done? What about leaving the Congo permanently? Because they are still present. They are still exploiting. What about leaving the Congo permanently? Is there a better apology than that? No. Do apology with actions. Don't do apology with words. And I feel like it's important that I talk about this to everybody who is listening, especially to Africans, because we should be more outraged about this. The Congolese people that I know are very, very outraged. The Congolese government nowadays should be more outraged than this. These are not apologies. Apologies are actually taking actions to make the life of the, of the Congolese people that you guys took and made miserable for many, many decades better. That's how I feel this is supposed to be. Now, maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe I'm being too radical or emotional about it. But I feel like in these kind of situations, there's supposed to be way more emotions than there are right now. The whole world is supposed to be scandalized and obfuscated. Because if the world is not annoyed by the, the, the problems that Africans have, if the Europeans or the Americans or the West in general is not annoyed by the problems that Africans have, then they should not be upset when Africans don't care about their problems. They should not be afraid when Africans don't care about the fact that Russia is invading Ukraine right now. Because Russia was actually the only country that supported Lumumba in, in so many ways. So I don't see why we should be concerned about people who are not concerned about us or who have never been concerned about us. Now that's my take on it. You guys might see it differently. You guys might have different opinions. And I'm going to be waiting for those opinions in the comments. Now, after this uh, podcast, eventually, next we are going to get back on course unless we decide to talk about something else again. That's if something else come, on, come up or there's an update about the, the situation. So I'm going to leave you guys to have a good day. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. As usual, you guys should not forget to subscribe, uh, uh, follow, uh, like, and everything that you guys can do to, to help support. 
I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Have a good day and take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.